Hello, this is Coming to the Mat, podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday, ordinary Pacific Island women, the Mat series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from the series balance diverse interests and weave together the story of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mat series is a safe space that allows for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listener a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. Welcome again to Coming to the Mat with me today. I am your host and uh, we today we are going to talk about cultural relationship between food and women and men of Vanuatu. Um, before we invite our guests, our special guest for today for this discussion, I want to just give you a little bit of a background of why we want to choose this topic. So for thousands of years, as it's well known, that the well-being of um, indigenous peoples around the world have been sustained by their food systems and their balance in relationship with the local uh, cultural environment. So within the context of our discussion today, we're going to maintain that the, you know, indigenous people are those that retain the knowledge of their land and food resources uh, rooted in their historical continuity uh, within their land and food resources um, and of course, region of the of 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 where they're from. So the local food system that we are going to be uh, we're going to be using um, as defined traditional systems. Uh, and sometimes, you know, some of these foods are probably being used outside of the of the confine of this some of these indigenous cultures. And if you look at you know, places elsewhere, you know, in North America. Uh, in South America, maybe North America, they use, you know, salmon is commonly used throughout, not just within the confines of indigenous people. So within the context of Vanuatu, we will go with, uh, say, tuna for the fish and taro for the root crops. So in our case, we would describe traditional foods as island kakai, as it is well known in Vanuatu, since we're going to be talking about food in Vanuatu and the relationship, cultural relationship between food and women and men of Vanuatu. Um, and so we were gonna, we, we are going to use the word island kakai since we're going to be talking about and talking about their relationship between food and, and f- between f- food and the women and men of Vanuatu. So these foods that Ni Vanuatu people have access to locally, uh, without having to purchase them. Um, so we're going to focus on that and within the traditional knowledge and the natural environment of uh, you know from farming or perhaps also wild harvesting. So. We uh, have today with me, I have today with me on the mat, on coming to the mat, is my good friend, long time good fellow friend, uh, Mr. Kirk Hathman. Um, he is, uh, has been a, a long time friend of coming to the mat, so we enjoy, I enjoy talking to him about his experience and knowledge and the, of the people and customs of Vanuatu. So he's an anthropologist and also an uh, ethnologist, ethnologist. Um, Mr. Huffman has spent many years in Vanuatu, and because of his work there, 
He has come to love the country and the people. And also, he really loves cover. So it's always a pleasure for me to just, you know, story on with him and ask him some questions where we can talk about, about his time there and, you know, his work there with the, also with the National Museum of Vanuatu. So um, today we're going to talk with him about the cultural relationship between food, um, um, between food and women and men of Vanuatu. Um, so how did the Ni Vanuatu people link their, uh, so this, I guess, to, uh, our first question to him before we welcome him on, on the mat will be, how did the Ni Vanuatu people link their cultural food uh, and their traditions, that, that relationship, how did they link that, you know, between men and women? Um, so welcome to coming to the mat, Mr. Kirk Huffman. It's good to have you. Um, I'm so glad that we can uh, story on again today. Tabiana Mary, I'm glad to be able to have the chance to uh, maybe try and uh, give a little bit of information about some sort of things that uh, uh, it might interest younger Nivanuatu, anybody else to, 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 to hear. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most basic thing to bear in mind, Mary, about Island Kaikai uh, the, the important, the big side of island kaikai, you know, things like yam, taro, manioc, uh, pig, and all that sort of stuff. Kaikai, island kaikai, he got spirit for him, yeah? Mm. Uh, island, proper island kaikai doesn't just feed the body, it feeds, it because it has a spirit, it feeds your spirit too. So mm. it fortifies men and women uh, in a double way. It fortifies the body and it fortifies the mind. It fortifies the spirit, and it's one of the ways that that it links land to people, people to land, uh, and to ancestors. Hmm. Uh, and of the major types of island kaikai, traditional kinds, they, they have a spirit associated with them. Yam, hmm. he got spirit for him. Taro, he hmm. got spirit for him. One time, me look, me look spirit for Taro. On top of middle bush long. South Malakula, Mama Blontaro, eee man, me look, me fright, where me fright, but anyway, look, uh, when you had the privilege and the opportunity, maybe many years ago, 50 years or so ago, to mm. work with and spend quality time with certain communities, particularly in the bush, in certain mm. areas of Vanuatu, that were still living according to their really ancient traditions, and had not yet, for example, joined modern churches or anything like that, um, you realize that the, the ancient traditional systems in Vanuatu were really, really good. I mean, my gosh, I mean, one of the things that I remember when I went into the bush in Malakula for the first time in 1973 was how fit everybody was up there. The mm -hmm. Danlo water, you look all fat, fat way. Yeah. Really nice people everywhere, but mm -hmm. people on the, up in the bush were much healthier. There was not an ounce of spare fat on everybody. You look all muscle weight, all stringy, stand up strong, whatever something. It's really, really, really healthy. Mm -hmm. um, although infant mortality under the age of five might have been higher than down on the coast or in the towns or in the world, modern world overseas, uh, that sort of system helped to ensure that really the strong people survived. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, uh, there was a phrase up there in the time, at that time, 
is uh, uh, for those who spoke Bislama. Not many people spoke Bislama in those days up in the bush. Some areas, mm-hmm. no one spoke it. Uh, but uh, me go down law school, they would say. I go down to Christianity. Oh, and it meant okay. going down in a system, going down to the coast. Mm-hmm. That's if you wanted to join to become a Christian. But also, like, going down in the social order. You sort of give up a strong, strict life, and you go down and you become weak down mm-hmm. on the coast. And they, they called it me go down law school. Mm. We go down to school. Uh, and they went down and they usually became much more unhealthy down on the coast. Because also, not, not only of uh, maybe access to a slightly different diet, white rice and everything, uh, but also more malaria mm. down on the coast. Uh, but the ancient traditions that held these cultures together for many, many centuries, and you have to realize the, there were really a lot of people in Vanuatu in the old days. Mm. You know, I think when one might have mentioned this before, but people from, say, the World Bank or whoever say, oh, the population growth rate in Vanuatu is is much too uh, uh, high. But look, mm-hmm. the population of Vanuatu now is only about a half or a third of what it used to be before mm-hmm. outsiders started coming into the country. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, you know, and there was no modern medicines in those old days mm-hmm. and no modern technology, mm-hmm. uh, no modern money or anything like that. You know, so, uh, you know, people should, uh, when they think about development, mm. what may be happening nowadays may be a reverse form of development. Development is going into reverse. The co- country mm. was originally very highly developed from the point of view of food and culture and everything like that. And modernization mm-hmm. is sort of reversing that, making mm. the population more unhealthier. Mm. Um, but, okay, so you want more concentration on on men, women, and different types of food. Look, yeah. let me just give an example. Mm-hmm. From uh, There's an area in southwest Malakula, an area called uh, 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 Sinisip, where mm-hmm. they speak a language called Nahava. And it's in southwest Bay, but it's the southern part of southwest Bay. Uh, the southern part of southwest Bay, going towards the, the point. And it's mm-hmm. an area called Sinisip, and they speak a language called uh, Nahava. Mm-hmm. In that area... Uh, the, the yams, they've got lots of different types of yams. The general term for yam in um, in in, uh, in the Hava language is nimbai. Mm-hmm. Um, but the major split in in the different types of yams are between the long the long yams and the roundish mm-hmm. and the roundish yams. Now, in general, in, in in many cultures in Vanuatu, yams tend to be associated with men. Tarot tends to be associated with women, but mm-hmm. it's often a lot more complex than that because in the in Sinisip, in the, in South Southwest Malakula, the long yams are men, male mm-hmm. yams, mm-hmm. and the round yams are female. They're considered mm-hmm. as female, mm-hmm. and so therefore traditionally, uh, there, uh, men who had already gotten into the men's graded systems and gotten into the secret societies, sacred societies, mm-hmm. uh, that are different from the graded systems, they could eat yams, they could eat the long male yams, but mm-hmm. they couldn't eat the rounded female yams that are considered as female. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the women couldn't eat the long male yams, but they could eat the round female yams and things like that. So mm-hmm. preparing food was a little bit complex, also mm-hmm. because in many of those areas, you had the, the 
Uh, and it was still existing when I was up in the bush there in the 1970s or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, it was a taboo fire system where the mm-hmm. men uh, couldn't eat food cooked by, prepared by women. They had to right. eat, uh, they could be, food could be maybe prepared by the women, but it couldn't be cooked by them. So they had to eat food so that was cooked, men had to eat, graded mm-hmm. men had to eat food that was cooked on their own fires, on their taboo fire. So like when, you, when you say graded men, are you talking about, is that a different chiefly rank or a different type? Yes, yes, yes. I'll get away. I'll say, uh, mm. yeah, your area, one of me, Bolololi. Oh, okay. I'll get away, I'll kill him pig while he go on tabla step. Right. Something I'll say. Men okay. who go into those graded systems, mm-hmm. uh, in south-southwest in Malakula, the graded system is called uh, Nimingi or Nimangi or Mangi mm-hmm. or Mengi. But right, there's lots right. of different lang- languages down there that are interlinked. Right. Uh, and so those in the lower ranks, those men in the lower ranks, mm-hmm. uh, could only eat food cooked on their fire, which was uh, usually towards the entrance and, and just they, after the entrance of the Nakama. And, and they prepare their own. Yeah, yeah, they prepare their own. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You see. Uh, but you see, the, in some of those areas, they're mm-hmm. graded systems for women as well. And so okay. they had their own sacred food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really interesting because the laws of food were really, really strict. Right. Uh, I mean, the Sinisip Seniang, they, they uh, adopted Christianity relatively early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but up in the bush, all these laws about food were still going on in the mm-hmm. 1970s, very strict. Uh, and there was a great range of different types of food. Mm-hmm. Not not just uh, uh, not just yam, taro, manioc, the basic things, but all sorts of other things. They were like insects you could eat. Uh, and there's, for example, somewhere up in uh, up in South Central Malakula, there's a type of cicada. In their mm-hmm. language, 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 uh, mm-hmm. they call them, uh, what's they called? Uh, Nandrangai. Nandrangai. Okay. And the guy, the cicadas, you know, they sing out uh, towards the end of the day and stuff. And it's all messages. And there's all sorts of things that, that, that they're trying to tell people and things like that. But a lot of these things you can actually eat. Down in South Pentecost, yeah. uh, one of the great delicacies is eating stick insects. You say they are long yeah, we boon boon. They're, uh, I think they're kind of praying mantis or something like that. You can roast them. And that's, it's very, you know, children. Uh, love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't for necessarily for great people, um, mm-hmm. but the thing is, they actually give eating insects, uh, uh, which okay. I think the younger generation may have forgotten about that now. Mm-hmm. But they can actually mm-hmm. give very, very interesting and very complex minerals and vitamins that you right. can't get from other foods uh, and things like that. You know, you okay. mean, suppose you go to Vietnam or place yeah. or same. You look, I'll get there as long Southeast Asia. All these Kakai Kokrus, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not saying that everybody should go and eat cockroaches, but <laughs> in those cultures up in Vietnam, mm-hmm. only stick them cockroaches on one long fella boon wood, mm-hmm. only roast them, only cook them on mm-hmm. fire. Eee, some picking yeah. any, only like them, whether you like them. But the thing is, <laughs> although that, eating cockroaches may not sound very good, uh, uh, maybe, you know, it, maybe. it's actually a type of food that gives a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of benefits. Yeah. But there are other things that taste better than cockroaches. I can tell you that. <laughs> you know? I was I was just thinking about here in the United States. You would you would do, stick it into a thing of butter and some chocolate on it, and then you shove it in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think there's actually a place I can remember because uh, although 
uh, I've spent a total, a combined total of, you, uh, if you join it all up, just over 18 years in Vanuatu mm. since mm. 1973. Mm. And I've also had the privilege of working with some other cultures in various areas of the world, some cultures in the mm. Sahara edges of the mm. Sahara Desert mm. in Africa mm. and in South America. And I remember one time with one uh, one group in South America, I mean, uh, eating uh, fried ants. You say all small, small ants, yeah. Yes, they were, yes, eh, yes. Nice, very nice. But the one time I ate some that uh, I think they were a bit off. So anyway, they did not go down well. Yeah, I think they were a little bit off. They'd passed their use-by date. But there's other things that you, I can remember eating uh, out there in parts of South America. And one with one desert mm. tribe eating a uh, I belong lizard. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Considered mm-hmm. a great delicacy, you know. I, I, I guess, had to turn it yeah. around so it wasn't looking at me, you know. <laughs> and I, and I must say, I closed my eyes when the. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I closed my eyes when I ate that. So, yeah, but uh, yeah. you have to keep smiling. You have to keep smiling because sometimes, when mm-hmm. you're with these people and they offer you food, you can't say no. no. You can't say mm-hmm. no, but sometimes mm-hmm. bits, you're a bit nervous about asking what you're being given to eat, you know. <laughs> Um, so, so let's go back a little bit and touch on that relationship between the women and men in food because that's very interesting and it seems it almost uh, sound to me like maybe would you say that the northern part of uh, Vanuatu seems to have that where you were just talking about you know the different if you have for the men who have different titles will eat you know prepare their own food you know the chiefs would prepare their own food and then maybe the second rank to the chief would have within the setting of a nakama or the you know um nakama traditional house where they would prepare their food do you know how many um sets of uh, fire you know whole blow lap lap or whole blow stone what they would hey uh... well look <laughs> well, some of the areas some of the areas in malakula for example that had mm-hmm. a lot of different ranks you had to have a really long nakama because you had to have right. a lot of different fires you know mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh if you uh if you got into a village where the nakama was very short, you yeah. know that you were in an area where the 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 uh, the, the, the graded system for the men uh, didn't have many ranks. Oh, <laughs> you know? sorry. Uh, and, okay. And, and in Malakuli, you got a very interesting situation where the ranking systems range from one culture, say up in the north northwest, that had four ranks, mm-hmm. uh, to one culture in the south southwest that mm-hmm. had thirty-two ranks, mm-hmm. uh, and then. Uh, uh, a couple of cultures up in the mountains in the southern interior mm. that had uh, two different graded systems for the men. And you mm. could uh, choose one or the other, or you could bounce back and forth between uh, between the two. Mm. Uh, uh, at the same time as there was a, a graded system for the women, mm. for the women in that area mm. up there where there was two ranking systems for the men. Mm. Uh, and it was absolutely fascinating. But the thing is, unless you had been initiated unless you was even uh, uh, had been initiated as a man, hmm. you couldn't go into any of the Nakamals. Eh? Right. So one right. was restricted. Eh? Uh, and mm. it was sort of the same for the women. The women's, the women's graded systems in these areas uh, tended to have less ranks. I think up in the middle mm. bush, uh, southern Malakula, the women's graded system up there, which was called uh, Nemangitengese mm. in one language and Nemangitengese in another language, mm. a neighboring dialect, uh, had anything between seven and twelve different ranks, eh? mm. uh, and that depended. The numbers depended on how you, the numbers of different ranks, 
depending upon how you classify the ranks. Some ranks that some people might classify as one rank might mm. actually be classified by others as being two. Mm. I mean, one rank with two different subdivisions and things like that. But uh, And there were particular food restrictions mm. on particular ranks. Mm-hmm. But also with the women's with the women's food, what was really interesting was that uh, it was there were really, really uh, uh, complex mm-hmm. variations mm-hmm. on the types of food that women, uh, even women that were not in the women's grading system, could eat at particular times of the month. You see, a time time where women yeah. come a little time below. Him lo manisha, he got special kaka. He didn't got special kaka for him. Oh, you know, okay. Stuff like that. Okay. There's all sorts of things. Also, yeah. you know, and me, and me, by you, by me, not talk about. But, but, but yes. that, anyway, that's a that's a really important thing because mm. because Nivanuatu ancestors had so many centuries to yeah. think about these things that's and right. plan them, and they mm-hmm. were their own scientists. They could, mm-hmm. they could. Uh, they knew which foods worked well uh, mm-hmm. at a physical and at a spiritual level, things like that, because there's no difference between the physical and the spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's only now that white man scientists or Asian scientists, modern scientists, are beginning to understand that, yes, plants do have spirits, but uh, but the, the white people or the Asians don't call them spirits. They, what they're finally, f- finally deciding now is that, uh, or, or realizing now is that plants can communicate between themselves. Mm-hmm. In my long custom, he got mm-hmm. way, way, yam, he said he talked with them, yam, or, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's certain things that are taboo I can't go into yeah. Uh, yeah. on the radio or anything like that, That's but right. uh, he, he, he got all custom with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you speak to your oldest people, and they'll say, mm-hmm. ah, yes, in the, in the old days, yeah, everything spoke to everything else. Mm. You know? Yeah. yeah. The land spoke to the trees, the trees spoke to the water, the water spoke to the stones, the stones spoke to and out of the stones came language, came culture, came this, came that and stuff. But it's only now that scientists overseas are beginning to realize that there are there is communication between plants at an electrical level. At an electrical level. And there is now there's actually students scientists overseas that have found They've, using special techniques, they've been able to record mm. sounds that a tree makes mm. if you cut it down. Right. right. Uh, yeah. yeah. A, the tree gives out electrical pain signals and stuff mm. like that. And they've now got recordings of that. But the thing is, this is why, for example, in custom, mm-hmm. if you're going to cut down the tree to make a canoe or a tam-tam or whatever or something like that, mm-hmm. or, or for whatever purpose, in many cultures in Vanuatu, not all of them, but in many cultures, you need a special person to come to talk to the tree beforehand. Right. And say, right. look, we need you for a particular person. There, there's mm-hmm. every culture, or most cultures in Vanuatu, would have traditional ways to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to minimize the pain that the tree or whatever had. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. So at, one level, at that sort of level, people in Vanuatu were centuries ahead right. of modern scientists. Right. It's just the modern scientists, because they they never listen to anybody else but themselves <laughs> anyway, but also traditional uh, Nivanuatu scientists and modern foreign scientists speak completely different languages. They follow different thought systems. Right. You know? uh-huh. And modern 
the modern scientists have always tended to put down or denigrate anything that comes from the traditional world because the traditional world from their modern scientist point of view has always been looked at has always been put down from day one mm. you know mm. and it's really sad because the thing is uh, <laughs> at many levels the traditional worlds so advanced at certain mm -hmm. levels mm -hmm. that the white man's culture lost centuries ago mm -hmm. you know a lot of these kind of things used to exist for example in Europe but thousands of years ago but mm -hmm. uh, the introduction of uh, Christianity and modern money economy and everything like that has destroyed so much in ancient European cultures that now what is just left is sort of like the material side of culture money no more you rule you know yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and this mm -hmm. again is one of the big problems and you find that money is ruling with kai kai now you know? mm -hmm. people now you know they're racing to follow uh, white rice noodles twisties mm -hmm. uh, you know cold drink or something or same because they're cheap and they're sweet and everything like that but that's uh, that's uh, that's one of the problems yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And yet, island kai kai is basically free. If you've got land, and almost everyone in Vanuatu has land, mm. you don't actually need to go to the store to right. uh, to, to waste money to try to to poison yourself. Huh? Right. <laughs> so I'm I'm fa I'm fascinated about that relationship between um, you know the environment and the people and the knowledge that has been developed throughout you know centuries, millennium. Um, what was the one thing that really stands out for you when you were working, you know, being a first, uh, first time on the island of Malakula or perhaps somewhere else that just uh, kind of make you realize that, you know, like foreseeing what it is now happening, have you ever thought about perhaps Vanuatu will no longer have those uh, traditional ways of, uh, you know, the relationship with the nature, with food, and just the really in-depth knowledge of that. What was the one thing that st stuck out for you to know that either they're going to keep it or they're going to lose it? Like, how, how, where was that defining moment for you? Okay, well, the thing that really worried me is I, I, I got to a stage in the mid-1970s where I thought, my gosh, these systems, these traditional systems are so good and the people are so bloody healthy. Uh, mm. Of course, you know, modern medicine and stuff like that was useful at times if you, if you broke your arm or you had something mm. other wrong with you. But there was also traditional medicines for lots of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I thought if they lost this stuff, because, look, I had a, I had a different background from a lot of other people. Mm. I was brought up in the west of England in a mm. rural uh, property in, from the 1950s. This was like 70 years or so ago, 70 mm -hmm. years and more ago, mm -hmm. uh, uh, where my parents, who were way ahead of their time in many things, said to us, that we will raise all our own food. We don't want you children. There's five of us. I was the eldest. Mm -hmm. yeah. But oh, none of us have ever been sick. You know, mm -hmm. None of us have ever been sick. My mother is 96 years old now. She's sharp as a pin. You know, mm. you know, I have to watch my language with her when I speak to her on the phone. You know, <laughs> um, but uh, um, uh, uh, all these—I've got five brothers and sisters. None of—I'm 73 now. I think mm. I've, you know, we're all pretty healthy mm. and stuff. Uh, my wife says to me, you know, 
she says the problem with you because you still think you're 25 years old but anyway <laughs> uh, 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 but we were brought up to raise all our own food because my father said mm. the most important thing is land right. they, they'd seen what happened that happened in World War II mm. you know horrific absolutely horrific what happened in mm. World War II you know? mm. uh, people were starving and, mm. and stuff and my father said okay the most important thing is land so you, we raise all our own food. We don't have to buy anything from the stores. You know, every mm -hmm. now and then, you know, once a year we can go down. You can buy chocolate. You know, you can mm -hmm. eat as much chocolate as you want, but you have to eat it in one day. So <laughs> we really, all of us children, we, we do it. And then we get sick. <laughs> well, that's the purpose so, uh, of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we were brought up with a great respect for land mm -hmm. as the foundation and uh, uh, the importance of raising all our own food to be healthy. Mm -hmm. To be healthy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so uh, when I went to the New Hebrides for the first time, 1973, mm. got to Malakula, going to villages. I mean, it was super. I just loved it from the first day. Mm. My gosh. Uh, seeing people raising all their own food. And then in the bush, people raising all their own food in a fully traditional context. For me, mm. seemed perfectly normal. I did they some people coming from the outside world, I mean, if you've got somebody from the World Bank or the yeah. International Monetary Fund going to those islands and looking at that, they would say, oh, it's primitive, it's savage, mm. oh, they need to have jobs and all that sort of mm. stuff. Mm. I didn't arrive with those sort of stupid uh, mm. uh, uh, ideas at all. I thought, mm. my gosh, this is fantastic. These are people living the way they should. They're living very, mm. very well. They're really independent. Mm. Uh, nobody is their boss, you know, particularly the ones in the mountain villages. Uh, nobody's their boss <laughs> except for the chiefs and the spirits and the ancestors. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, they, they were very resilient cultures, mm. very healthy cultures, highly structured, highly organized, uh, with their own traditional systems of education. Mm. You know, the people are mistaken when they think that there was white people that introduced education to Vanuatu. What white people introduced was a form of education that had writing associated with it, mm -hmm. and also a form of education that followed European-type linear logic or linear thought, which mm -hmm. is not necessarily the type of logic or thought that is traditional for cultures in many areas of Vanuatu. Mm -hmm. um, those areas had their own traditional forms of education, which are oral, by example, right. and oral. Right. Uh, you know, which, which uh, uh, and I can remember, you know, even relatively recently, elderly friends in Vanuatu saying to me that modern education shortens the memory. Mm. And it does, because in the traditional education systems, you were taught to actually archive and collect inside your head mm. masses and masses of absolute masses of information, mm. stories, mm. songs, history, mm. events. Mm. Uh, and these stories and songs, uh, I mean, the, the white people call them myths. Mm. But the thing is, uh, you know, the stories and songs for these cultures are Many of them are true. They're guidelines to the way society is structured and ruled mm. and things like that. Mm. You know, very important. And the thing is with, with food, with food, all these, all the different types of food, they have a story associated with them. They have a song associated with them. They have a history. They have a point of origin. Even, mm. for example, coconuts mm. in, uh, in southern Malakula, up in the mountains, in southern Malakula, the coconuts are called nani, nani. Mm. For the peoples up in the bush, there's the Nani coconuts started up on the east coast of Malakula, came up the Pankumu River, and then moved and moved and moved, came around. Mm. 
mm. up in the western side of Malakula, uh, where coconuts are very sacred. Coconuts mm. are very sacred in that area. Okay. Um, you go to Lambumbu, the, the stamp of Blanc coconut came eastward from the east, east mm. of Lambumbu. Yeah, Lambumbu's on the western coast. Mm-hmm. just before you get to the bulge that goes up to the big Nambus area of northwest Malakula. Um, mm-hmm. But for them, the origin of coconuts is in uh, a bit to the east of them, a place called Lagalag. Lagalag. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the people in Lambumbu actually purchased the rights for coconuts with pigs, one pig per coconut and stuff. Mm-hmm. This is a story long before mm-hmm. uh, and stuff. Uh, up on Santo, coconuts are very sacred. And even coconut milk and things. There's all sorts of important mm. stories, but there mm. are reasons for these things being sacred and stuff. And there are mm. ways to use right. there are ways to use coconuts as a form of medicine mm. uh, that fulfil medical and spiritual mm. purposes. And, and look, the medical knowledge amazed mm. me. Mm. Medical knowledge amazed me. The traditional medicine knowledge. Mm. Uh, and you get that. I mean, but there's all sorts of things. Tanner is really good for a lot of a lot of stuff. Look. We've been talking mainly about Malakula because that just happens to be the time that I spent, the area I spent uh, a lot of time in the 1970s in. But Tana has got incredible stuff. Tana doesn't have the drums, the tam-tams, and the things that other uh, uh, other cultures in the north have and stuff, mm. or the masks or the headdresses, mm. but they've got the stamp oblong, plenty something. And they've got these special agricultural specialists to punish them, mm. look after uh, the health and fertility of yams and taro and fruits and uh, uh, and they look after the spiritual side and the material side. Mm. And if you want, if you want your yams to be fertile and fruitful and everything like that, you you can go and see the person who's got the the knowledge of and the control of the stamp of blow yam, you know, or mm. whatever. Okay. Um, you know. So what uh, that means. Made- would that Sorry, mean yeah, that on, they, they um, does that mean that they defied um, the systems? You know, like you, you're talking about, if somebody wants to know how to uh, harvest a large, you know, crop of say taro, then they go and see the traditional tapu men for for the, the taro. Does the system in Tana is set for you know each clan or tribe to have that that sort of um, role to play or is it uh, just yeah 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 okay. yeah they're special they're they're specialists and it's mm. not uh, uh you know it's not a system that's misused or anything like that it's a system mm. that's been working over many centuries for mm. the for the benefit of people that's one of the reasons why you know uh uh you know tana has got such uh, particularly in the traditional areas up in the, the southwestern interior where they're still following custom i mean you know mm. uh, you should see some of the kai kai up there i mean uh, it's 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 still sort of traditional, or use quite common on Tanna that every time a cyclone comes through, mm. some of the coastal areas of Tanna are looked after by food from the bush areas. Really? Even if the bush areas have been mm. uh, affected by the cyclones, mm-hmm. uh, they tend to have. They also prepare themselves traditionally. Prepare themselves very well. They get to have disaster food stored and mm-hmm. things like that. And that's another another aspect of food systems that really impressed me was the preparation of every year mm-hmm. of particular types mm-hmm. of food that right. you could bury or put in caves mm-hmm. uh, to as a normal annual preparation for the cyclone season. Just mm-hmm. in case all your crops were destroyed during a cyclone, 
you had food already stored away, prepared for you to look after mm. you. In the Banks Islands, there was, uh, for example, the type of smoked breadfruit biscuits that were very right. common. Right. Uh, down in the Southern Islands, Aniwa and Fortuna had mm-hmm. types of uh, uh, fermented banana that could be stored mm-hmm. for long periods underground mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, bury them in the ground or in caves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all sorts of stuff. But, um, and every culture had aspects like that. Up in mm-hmm. Draga, in North Pentecost, you would, ha- you would have your own traditional forms of disaster kai kai mm-hmm. uh, prepared and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but also another thing that really impressed me was the vast numbers of variations of different types of crops. You know, mm-hmm. 90 different types of taro, mm-hmm. uh, 100 different types of yam, mm-hmm. uh, etc., etc., etc. You know, and you need lots of different varieties of these of these foods, because in case, uh, suppose you got one sicky come. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you need a type of food that survives a type of flu that comes around, you know, mm. or a type of sick, sick blow yam mm. or sick blow taro or, or, mm. or coconuts or, or, or whatever. Uh, kava, you know, there's types of sick... Sick Blancava. I'm not talking about Sick Blancava. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about Sick Blancava if you have too much. Uh, but sometimes there were certain types of things that would affect the leaves of the cava plant. So, mm. But you could have some, if you had lots of different varieties, you would have a variety of cava that would be resistant to this sort of stuff. So mm. the modern way of doing things is, oh, you get rid of all the different types of varieties that don't produce very many, uh, crops and things like that, and you just concentrate on the type <coughs> that produces a lot and mm-hmm. that you can sell. Mm. That's a wrong decision. Right. That's right. a wrong decision because mm. you need to keep. Okay, you can do that if you you know if you're gonna if you're gonna produce kava commercially. Yes, you can do that, but you need to also keep at the same time your other varieties mm-hmm. uh, uh, in case of. Uh, diseases coming through that might affect them. You need surviving mm-hmm. types of varieties that are resistant to diseases. Mm-hmm. You now, because of uh, the increasingly rapid rate of climate change, you'll need uh, types that are more resistant mm-hmm. to more rain or less rain or more heat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but also, because so many of these things also have medicinal aspects, I mean, even mm-hmm. yam, and taro and manioc and coconut and kava, etc., etc., etc. They all have medicinal aspects too, as well. Mm-hmm. There are certain types of kava that uh, can be used as certain types of medicine for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are certain, you know, very rare varieties. There are certain types of uh, yam. The skin of yam can be used in certain types of medicines mm-hmm. uh, of certain types of, of, of yam. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. But every time an old person who knows a lot of these things mm-hmm. passes away, uh, mm-hmm. who hasn't passed them on to his children, it's almost as if a unique library is burnt and lost forever. Right. Because you've got, you've got centuries of accumulated knowledge mm-hmm. there. And each culture in Vanuatu has centuries of accumulated knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, nowadays, the archaeologists are saying that, oh, people have been in Vanuatu for 3,000 years. Ah, but what 
people sort of tend to forget is those people came from somewhere. So they mm-hmm. arrived already with culture, mm-hmm. and they arrived already with language mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. The people in Papua New Guinea say, ah, oh, well, we've been here for 49,000 years. Right. Well, many of the cultures in Vanuatu come mm-hmm. from, originally, from those those sorts of areas, so they would have had a lo- much longer history than 3,000 years. It's just that they've only had 3,000 years in Vanuatu or so. Right. So, yeah, I mean, but when their we, cultures when... actually have a much longer history. And mm-hmm. many of the origins of many of the ideas mm-hmm. in Vanuatu and many of the stories probably come from much, much earlier cultures slightly further west. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Yeah. Slightly f- further west in wh- where exactly? Uh, somewhere along, going along the, the, the Melanesian chain, you know, mm-hmm. back towards mm-hmm. uh, the island of New Guinea. Right. Um, you see, the thing, I mean, is, the thing is also, look, look, because people say, okay, now people say that uh, uh, the ancestors of the Aborigines arrived in Australia, hmm. say, 60, 65,000 years or so ago. Because in those days, Australia and the island of New Guinea were joined together. Right. Uh, right. And the ancestors of uh, the Australians and the Melanesians would have probably arrived at around the same time, some arriving hmm. up towards... Uh, where the island of New Guinea is, some arriving mm-hmm. maybe where northwestern Australia is now. But they would probably have arrived around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that uh, it's very difficult to get proper archaeological, historical, early historical information from the western side of the island of New Guinea, because mm-hmm. at, the, at this moment in time it's the Indonesians who control it, and they're not really very happy about allowing archaeologists in mm-hmm. uh, that might find out things that might give people in West Papua a pride in their culture. Right. The Indonesians are not very sympathetic, as we know, to that sort of stuff. So a lot so, of the really, really early stuff yeah. from of Melanesia mm-hmm. uh, is still under the Indonesian boots, so to speak, mm-hmm. as, as we speak now. Um, so when we talk but about... what we Pap- do know is... When we talk about Papua New Guinea, again, like you're talking about all this fast knowledge that, you know... Maybe coming from the, the far as the west, there you, you're talking about the island of uh, New Guinea. There, um, I mean, New Guinea is a very fascinating place in itself. When we talk about the agricultural, old agricultural system that has not even been tapped into, and I'm, you know, I mean, isn't that one of the um, archaeological dig of the agricultural, older agricultural farming that has been, has. Uh, you know, started around in Papua New Guinea a long, long time ago. Um, and, and, and it's a place that has never really been looked into. It's never really been talked about the, fo- the different forms of agriculture that have existed, existed for thousands and thousands of years ago. So it's interesting that, um, that mm, I, I don't think a lot, a, a lot of uh, people have th- thought about that. I mean, we know it's a very fascinating place. We talk about the different aspects of Papua New Guinea, but we talk about Vanuatu in terms of like agriculture and food, but all of those knowledges that have been passed down, you can trace them back to where they're, they've come from. Um, what are some of the similarities? Yeah, 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 yeah mm-hmm. you're right, you're right. You look, you look, I mean, they've got now dates of, uh, they found, uh, archaeologists found evidence for... Uh, agricultural irrigation systems in the highlands of Papua New Guinea right. from about 10,000 years ago. Right. You know, 
I mean, that's mm-hmm. around the same time that supposedly people in the Middle East or the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East were developing the first time uh, uh, systems of agriculture. So yeah, you had right. agricultural mm-hmm. systems developing in, uh, in, that, in the, at least we know that the, uh, on the island of New Guinea, mm-hmm. you know, 10,000 years ago or more, or more. Mm-hmm. They're only just uh, scratching the surface. The island is mm-hmm. vast. So there's all sorts of things. And there's all sorts of connections because there's all these islands off of New Guinea. And there's mm-hmm. sort of things that need to be looked in eventually. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, pig, pig, stamp mm-hmm. blanc pig, you come where? Uh, and uh, uh, because the pigs in Melanesia are, uh, they're not necessarily related to pigs in the <laughs> in the in in the in the Middle East or uh, Asia or or, mm-hmm. or some well, some of them might be yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, some of them might be but anyway uh, Melanesian pigs uh, are, are are very special and they have a they're part of a different sort of uh, uh, system. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, look, for example, there are cultural things as well. You know, mm-hmm. and are, uh, the, the tradition of of uh, of big uh, 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 got tooth. You've mm-hmm. got cultures in the southern part of the island of New Britain, uh, mm-hmm. uh, off of Papua New Guinea, where mm-hmm. they have similar things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote about this in 2004, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and that also coincides with the same area where. You've got a couple of cultures like the Adelway peoples and stuff who have, well, you make them head blow, man, you come long fella, which is oh, a, yeah. a culture, that, mm-hmm. a tradition you got in southern Malakula. Right, Maybe right. look, old man, we only got uh, long fella head. Eh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got friends in southern Malakula who have elongated heads. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting system. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of connections. And there's another interesting thing I found out. There's a couple of friends of mine here in... Um, Sydney, one who's a Tolai from PNG, mm-hmm. uh, from the island of New Britain. There's, they don't have the culture of longheads. Uh, but uh, he was speaking with a friend from the island of Palma here, and there's a lot of words in their languages that are very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. very interesting, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of connections. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea of saying, oh, okay, well, people in Vanuatu have been for 3,000 years, but very often, okay. That's the earliest evidence so far found, and you know, it may be uh, we may find earlier stuff. Who, who knows? But uh, one must remember that those cultures uh, didn't come down from the the moon uh, mm-hmm. and so just suddenly land there. They came mm-hmm. from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know. Ah, mm-hmm. well, unless you're from the island of Vau, because on the island of Vau, northeast Malakula, believe Blomogeta, say spirit belong all peak in any way no born yet. They live on the moon. Oh. That's yeah, that's a, yeah. There's all these, mm. all these traditional religious systems. Mm-hmm. This is another thing where the missionaries were sort of wrong. They sort of said missionaries. We brought religion to the New Hebrides. Mm-hmm. You know, through every area already has traditional religions of their own, belief systems of their own. Yeah. You know, uh, depending uh, on what uh, measuring uh, what measuring stick you're using, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it depends on how you measure religion. If religion is one day a week, you go into a thatch stat and you sing, 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 and pray, pray, pray. Yeah. Well, uh, that <laughs> that was something the missionaries brought, you know. Mm-hmm. But as they say, you know, for you know some of the early converts, yes. he got some funny story about early conversion days. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. you know, a missionary mm-hmm. sort of saying that this is a story that was going around in Melanesia in the 1970s, but it may have come from PNG. But the story was that there was one missionary who said, got early missionary who got a bit annoyed the fact that that none of the men had come to church, um, and I think the missionary had. Uh, 
had been to attract the members of the church. He'd been given out stick tobacco, and he ran out of stick tobacco, and he suddenly found out that there was no men coming to the church, only the women, you know. And so the missionary got angry, and he went to see the chief of the village, and he says, why aren't you men uh, coming to the church? And the chief said, mm-hmm. oh, no tobacco, no sing-sing, no pray. But <laughs> <laughs> they assumed that the missionary was actually paying them to do that. So he said, okay, well, if, if he pays us to do that stuff, we'll do it. I think that main that story originally may not be from Vanuatu. It may be from somewhere mm. further west. But it's all part of the same. Yes, the same yes. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we, we can all understand that sort of a, that yes. sort of a story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a, a little um, bit... Uh, a little bit here on um, um, the very well popular published, uh, you know. The I'm going to switch a little bit here and talk about the this well-being um, survey that's been done or well, was just published around July of this year. But it was uh, it's called the Well-being uh, in Vanuatu 2019-2022. It's the NSDB baseline survey. Um, so we're, we're talking about traditional wealth, you know, in terms of uh, some of the measuring the well-being of the you know, the people in Vanuatu, and so the traditional what is one of the uh, I guess items that has been measured is the traditional wealth items. Um, of course, uh, in that we have a list of uh, things that they have looked at, and food, uh, crops is one of them. Um, so that's. Uh, Really good to see that, that that's you know how they've defined that. So um, it's stated here that uh, that more than four out of every five household in Vanuatu, that's about 88 percent, use some of form of traditional wealth items for ceremonial exchange in uh, probably about 12 months period before the survey was conducted. And some of these valuable items uh, include uh, crops, of course, like yam, taro, banana, and so forth. Um, so it's interesting to see, uh, you know, what we, we are talking about, and eventually Vanuatu is, has now um, embraced that um, in terms of measuring its well-being. Um, so what, what's your thought around that when you, when you saw that came out, that report came out? Ah, that's really good. Yeah, that's uh, mm-hmm. Jamie Tongi and the people down there in the statistics office who've done that. That's mm-hmm. a well-being project. That's the thing that came out of the Vanuatu Culture Center's Custom Economy project mm-hmm. originally, mm-hmm. Uh, initiated by uh, Ralph Reagan Vanu when he was the very active and energetic uh, director of the Culture Center many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a really, really good system. And mm-hmm. it's a system, the well-being thing is, it's, it's so much better than right. uh, the, 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 the modern economic thing, because the modern economic way of measuring development and stuff like that is completely ridiculous, you know. Mm. Uh, they just organize, rely on measuring GDP and GNP, which is all related to money, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if, you know, if you have a war, uh, that's, actually, uh, that's actually very profitable for the uh, uh, companies that, uh, you know, if you have a big war, world war, it's very, mm-hmm. very profitable for mm-hmm. a lot of companies that make arms and ammunition. So mm-hmm. the, uh, g- their GDP or GNP mm-hmm. goes up and stuff. So that's really good for them. And they would be, that would be classed by a modern economist as mm-hmm. a plus. You know, mm-hmm. oh yes, their GDP or GNP has gone up, gross national product and stuff, you know. Uh, so they, unfortunately, modern economists are brought up in a world 
it's completely detached from reality. They've forgotten. Mm. They've cut themselves off from the land, mm. and they're sort of floating in the air. Mm. And they, they, they're just money crunchers. They're just money crunchers. Mm. Um, uh, and this uh, uh, well-being report is really good because the most important thing is if you've got access to your land, mm. and you've got access to food, you've got access to rituals and family and everything like that, you've got the basics of everything already there, free of charge, so to speak, almost, you know. Uh, and so, at one level of analysis, from the point of view of real ideas about what development is really all about, you're mm. centuries ahead of the modern world already. Mm. centuries ahead of the modern world already. I wanted to ask you a little bit more if you can, you know, because some islands in Vanuatu, since we're talking about Vanuatu, some islands in Vanuatu have, you know, they're all very different in, in, a, in a lot of, in some ways. Now in Tana, since, uh, we, we were last time talking about Tana, they don't have tam-tam. Um, what else do, yes, don't they have? Yeah yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they don't have masks. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't have, uh, uh, I mean, in the, the, the northern and northern central islands, you've got headdresses, you've got tam-tams, you've got mm -hmm. this, you've got that. They don't have any of that on Tana, but on Tana, what they have is mm -hmm. they, according to their belief systems, they have stamp of law, everybody something low world. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they don't need all the all the minor uh, flash things because they have the stamper, they have the the stones that are the origin of food, mm -hmm. they have the stones that are the origin of this, the, the origin of that, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are people that look after the stones. And of course, the, the missionaries have been trying to confiscate these these <laughs> these stones for uh, uh, an awful long time, you know. So people mm -hmm. sort of tend to hide their stones uh, as they mm -hmm. would. Uh, normal, normal. Um, uh, I can remember I can remember some friends from Tana who went over overseas some years ago. Um, ah, yes, I'll get the way I'll get the way. The, the ones that went to England uh, yes. in uh, 2007. Uh -huh. And I remember one of them telling me afterwards, he said, uh, yeah, and they looked at skyscrapers and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't, you know, that sort of impressed by skyscrapers and stuff like that, because uh, obviously the, the white people have the, uh, the stones that are the stamp of blanc skyscraper, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> and he said, if we had the, if we had the, the, the stones that were stamp of blanc skyscraper, we have skyscrapers all over Tana. <laughs> but anyway, look, the thing is, get down there on Tana. Look, uh, it's very interesting. There's a sacred mountain there on Tana, which is the, the, the mountain of food. And it's uh, the, the origin of the stamper, or a lot of, the, a lot of the, the major food types in Tana and southern Vanuatu, and I suppose by extension the world, etc., uh, uh, come out of that mountain come out of that mountain. And there's spirits and all sorts of things and gods associated with these, with these things. Huh? But uh, getting back to yams on Tana, um, this come in the news recently because the uh, Ministry of Agriculture have recently uh, released or starting to give out in Vanuatu this, uh, the golden hybrid yam, which right, is a really right, interesting right. thing where they've, uh, uh -huh. where they've uh, uh, spent 10 years developing a, uh, a type of yam that's resistant to climate change and that can mm -hmm. be planted in a lot of different environments. Mm -hmm. And it also gives crops all year round, 
which mm -hmm. is very, very useful. Mm -hmm. And interesting enough, they had the launch of it in uh, Ontana in the end of August. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's appropriate that they would have the launch there because, you know, mm -hmm. Stampa Bloyamia, yeah. <laughs> uh, at least for the Southern Islands. Huh? Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because, see, Tana, there's, there's about, a, there are over 100 already different mm -hmm. types of yams with names on Tana. Okay. Over a hundred different, you know, with different names on mm. Tanner. Um, but you can split those into four main types. Mm. You've got the, the, the really long yams, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere two meters long. Uh, uh, that's the basic, most important type. That's the most important type for ritual. Mm. Uh, and they're sort of called the true yams. They're called the true yams. But there are three other major types as well. Mm. Um, of course... In the way systems go on the systems go on Tanner, you'd have not just one type of long yam or true yam, but you've had maybe twenty different types or something like that, each with a specific name. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, and then you've got another major type there, which are the round yams. Mm -hmm. So sorry, the short yams, and then you've got another type, the round yams, and then you've got the wild yams. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and each of those types of general types have their own position in ritual, but the most important are the, are the long yams, or the true, the true yams in ritual. Now, this type of golden hybrid yam, which is being introduced now around various islands in Vanuatu, that's, that's really good because that gives a, an all-year-round source of food. Mm -hmm. that, uh, one of the, there's a concern, one concern about it, though, is possibly is it may, uh, the concern that uh, it may displace the other types of yams that are used in particular types of ritual. Hopefully what will mm -hmm. happen is Ontana, I mean, Tana's got a really long history of incorporating things from the outside world into mm -hmm. their own system in such a way that it doesn't damage the culture. Mm -hmm. So hopefully what will happen is that the golden hybrid yam can come in, can bulk out the diet, mm -hmm. but without displacing the other types of yams that are necessary for uh, certain types of ritual and mm. things like that. And there are really mm. important things in yams. There are certain types of things in the skin of yam that mm. are very powerful uh, medicine against cancers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like they're in the skin of uh, taro, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and also, I think, uh, I think it's, in, yeah, in the skin of yam, if you boil the skin of yam and you make a drink from it, drink it down, that's, uh, that's a medicine against high cholesterol. Mm. You know, yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of really good benefits. Also, the thing is with the golden hybrid yam, if you can grow that all year round, mm -hmm. that's a really good addition to a diet because it means you don't have to rely so much on bloody white rice. Right, you know, right. Which mm -hmm. is a real, which is really yeah. damaging for everybody's, yeah. uh, everybody's so, diet. You know? Right. And so one of the ways that um, I see a correlation between, you know, we're talking about going back to the relationship of uh, traditional way of using uh, food, uh, crops, for instance, in Vanuatu with, you know, men and women and maybe, you know, the entire community. One of the ways that I see this correlation is like in the, in the 21st century, I think what happened is that COVID has really pushed that um, to come to the forefront. And so you see more and more of that uh, production of growing more crops and uh, living, uh, you know, within that particular realm of agriculture, 
And so to address the social and cultural barriers that are preventing people from choosing uh, those kind of food and growing uh, food that are bad for the body, I think that Vanuatu has kind of pushed itself to be the kind of country that is to help people to grow and preserve local food in a more sustainable way. Um, I see that a lot of that is happening, and so that you have play, you have this. I think it's called Pacific Island Food Re uh, Revolution. That's one of another TV show that's trying to promote not just in Vanuatu but the Pacific. And so there's a lot of things that are going on. But what I what I'm interested in understanding and annoying is that 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 knowledge that's already there and applying it to the everyday life. Um, what are some other ways that can be that can be promoted? Um, like obviously, people promoted through websites or Facebook, trying to encourage more people to eat local food. Um, what are the different ways that can help even what do people understand the importance, not just for their health, but their relationship with how food has been for centuries? And what that, that that's you know what that symbiotic relationship that people should be having and continuing that tradition on. Um, what are some of the ways that can can allow people to do that? Niva no to people. Yeah. Yes, yes, you're 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 right there very much. So, Mary, uh, that these big disasters like the COVID thing across the Pacific mm -hmm. has possibly made people realize, mm -hmm. or almost forced people to realize that what they've already got is stuff that needs to be promoted. Mm -hmm. uh, and nowadays, of course, you can use uh, all these new systems to promote that, you know, the internet and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But of course, you have to realize that in many parts of particularly the Western Pacific, uh, a lot of people don't have access to all these so modern methods of communication. So the, you have to realize that also the basic methods, uh, the older methods, like the old radio, the old shortwave mm -hmm. radio okay. or radio, Remember, radio New Hebrides and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. you know, those, that's, radio is still a very functional, uh, uh, a very useful thing. Uh, if, the trans if you can get the transmitters working. <laughs> I can remember right. some time, right. uh, you know, a decade or so ago, there were problems, uh, some of the problems, because radio, radio Vanuatu, mm -hmm. you, could hardly, <laughs> you could hardly hear the radio, even if you were on North of <laughs> Right, that's true. <laughs> you know, uh, so you've got to look after that. But mm -hmm. uh, radio is a very stable thing. One mm -hmm. of the problems was that people don't necessarily realize at the moment, mm -hmm. with all this newer, modern technology, mm -hmm. uh, is it's very flash, it's very easy to use, but it's very unstable. Mm -hmm. And also, it's, um, it's very easy for governments to censor it. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't get that much uh, problem, that kind of problem in the Pacific yet. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you're getting it in other parts of the world, for example, in China, mm -hmm. in Turkey, uh, in all sorts of where the government, uh, if the government doesn't like stuff that's going on mm -hmm. on the Internet or in social media, they just mm -hmm. switch it off or they censor it. Uh, so, and so then people have to find ways around mm -hmm. that censorship uh, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to get their messages out. Huh? Mm -hmm. um, and so, and sometimes what they used to do, uh, a few, several decades ago, to get around various types of censorship, even before the modern systems developed, 
was to do tape recordings on cassettes and send around the tape cassettes and things like mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, but there's also traditional ways. I mean, you can send messages by tam-tam and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Although I think there's not too many people around anymore in Vanuatu who know how to, who know how to send the messages. You, you could actually send really complex messages with drums in the old days. I can remember mm -hmm. uh, 50 years, nearly 50 years ago in the mountains in southern Malakula, there was all messages being passed back and forth between villages and stuff like that. There were tam-tams. Um, uh, and you can actually send very complex messages. And mm. at a push, you could actually get, very interesting, you could get a message from villages near the western coast of Malakula, mm -hmm. all the way up and across the mountains, into western Ambrim, north, north Ambrim, and southern mm -hmm. Pentecost, within half an hour. Wow. You could get messages passed to you, because know, you'd have to bounce the messages off of, uh, uh, you, you angle them towards a particular dancing grounds that would have drums and you ask them to pass the message on and you could actually get a message passed if the weather conditions were right you could get messages passed uh, this was in time below full custom uh, from southeast Malakula across to West Ambrim West Ambrim could pass them up village by village and up to North Ambrim North Ambrim could then pass them on to South Pentecost because they were traditional links that way so, and people don't realize that today you know, but you could do that you know. West Malakula to south to central Malakula, down to southeast Malakula, to West Ambrim, to North Ambrim, South Pentecost, in, in mm. half an hour. Mm. You know. Although I, I wouldn't exactly guarantee that what the people in South Pentecost heard was exactly what the original message said. The original message might have said something like, can you send five pigs away to the fast Lombard? Uh, what, what turns up in South Pentecost is, can you send 50 pigs with Tuti Vassalombor? I don't know. Right. I don't know. Right. But no, there, there are ways to make sure that the, the message was as accurate as possible. Mm. Um, so one thing way... is that also, mm. it also, this is also really mm. important work for the chiefs to do, right. pass the message right. about food and things like mm. that. That's true. But look, there was some, you know, and, and to also link mm. up with organizations that are part of the, the slow food movement. Right. Vanuatu has yes. been very lucky is that it linked in with the slow food movement mm. very early on. Yes. And that's now gone international. Yes. And, um, yes. Uh, and the Vanuatu Cold Center, Joel, Stein, Joel Simo's uh, group in the, mm. uh, the land and languages and food desk in the Cold mm. Center, they've, mm. been, they've got teams going around the islands all the, all the time promoting food. They've had a, recently they had a slow food festival on Palma just recently. Right. Mm. Uh, and that's mm. really important. And there's people you, you, that well, you, could, you could get some really good information from that you could get, try and mm. contact Joel Simo. And Numalin, Numalin Hanna down on Tana. Well, she right. loves she's loves to talk amazing. about food. She's really yeah. good value, my she God. She is, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I love oh, Number one, we're number one. Yes. Um, but, uh, mm -hmm. And the thing is, but it also, it needs to be, the thing about the importance of food needs to be really pushed really strongly at the highest government level. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. In um, 2016, uh, Joel, Joel uh, Simo and the late Jacob uh, Caperi and the Culture Center and the Nicola Town Council of Chiefs, mm -hmm. they uh, organized Big Slow Food, the Tupunis Festival on Tana mm -hmm. in uh, August of 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, which was really successful, and they had people from all over the Pacific come, people from Bougainville, from PNG, mm -hmm. Solomons, uh, all come for this uh, slow food festival. And they're promoting traditional foods 
uh, and traditional lifestyles and even traditional medicine right, uh, right, and, right. and uh, things. And that was, uh, that was at the end of August in 2016. Now, mm. for people in Vila who might be listening to this, there's a booklet. The Culture Center published a booklet about this. Mm. It's called Tupunis. If you go into the Culture Center, the museum shop should have copies of the booklet. It's got some really good photographs in it. Uh, ask for the Tabunis, uh, uh, uh Slow Food Festival mm. that, that, that took place on Tan in 2016. And there's mm. some really good things in, in there. Um, Ralph Reganvanu, who was the, then the Minister for Lands at the time, mm. I think, gave a really good uh, speech during the festival. There were a lot of really good speeches. Uh, and at one point here, I'm just reading from the, uh, from the, from the Culture Center book here, after, mm-hmm. and this is a, from uh, stuff taken from uh, the then uh, Minister Ralph Reganvanu's speech, the Minister for Lands. After independence, Father Walter Leany claimed that agriculture should be the backbone of the country. Mm-hmm. But in 1997, this changed to foreign investment. Mm-hmm. At that time, we received a loan from the Asian Development Bank that had strings attached. So we were forced to sack our agriculture specialists Mm-hmm. And at that time, we started focusing on foreign investment. Mm-hmm. This dramatically changed our way of life and the path of our country. For example, in 2004, the government was issuing roughly one lease a day. This was thought to be good development, but only in terms of the international scale of money. Right. There are right. alternative indicators of well-being. Mm-hmm. That this is the thing that you mentioned last time, mm-hmm. uh, well-being, that better reflect Vanuatu values. Mm-hmm. In terms of money, Ground by itself has no value because it has no lease and is not commodified. Uh, We've found that instead of placing the value solely on money, it would be better to gauge development in terms of, one, access to customary land, the kinds of things that you mentioned beforehand that that last time we were talking, Mary, when uh, the the kinds of things that are listed in the... um, Oh, the uh, survey uh, that just came out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the well-being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, it's it's true because it's got everything. It's already yes, got it everything. It's got really yes. good land. It's got people who really know agriculture. My mm-hmm. gosh, you've got some of the world's best people uh, mm-hmm. who know about yam, taro, manioc, this and mm-hmm. that, or certain types of marine life, reef life. You know, mm-hmm. and they may not have been to school. They may not know how to read or write, but they may know a lot more than uh, a lot of the foreign scientists about these things about the local conditions that are necessary to promote mm-hmm. uh, all this sort of stuff. Yes. Um, and once you've got, once you realize that you've got everything there already, um, and in a way, maybe the lockdowns associated with the coronavirus thing have, as you mentioned, have made people step back and think, oh, man, you me lucky finish. Mm-hmm. What do we need development for in the big, in big fella letters? If mm-hmm. We've already developed finish. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I think one yeah. of the things that we're finding we finding it hard and I've been observing and kind of trying to understand this within the realm of the idea about development. I think one of the things that as a country we forget that when we talk about development, we are, you know, from the outside world, what measuring stick are we using, you know? And that's that's the bottom line, really. You know, yeah. are we measuring yeah. a development according to the Western outside uh, measuring stick, or are we measuring yeah. it from within 
the context of our knowledge, our indigenous knowledge of uh, environment, our indigenous yeah. knowledge of food, um, of medicine, of everything. Um, yeah. And so I think what, one, one of the things that I'd like for us to touch a little bit on is how do we promote, um, and again, you've read a little bit of an article there, how much do you think our traditional knowledge uh, are used to protect our not just food, but to protect the environment, to protect our marine resources? Um, how, how much of that is actually being used in everyday life from, from when you started working and seeing, of, obviously it's from probably very different, but do you, do you see that there's a huge change or is this still happening from a, maybe a small scale? Um, I think that uh, I think the, the a really big rapid change was, as then Minister Ralph mentioned in that speech of his on 2016, was when the government changed its focus from agriculture and self-reliance mm. in the mid to late 1990s towards what the white people called development. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I think what actually happened is in Vanuatu and in a lot of other areas of the world, as soon as the white people come in and say, we want to bring development to your island, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a normal reaction of really smart chiefs, if they hear someone from one of these big development agencies from overseas come to their village and say, we want to bring development to your island, you know, after you've beaten the drums and drunk the kava and stuff, and after mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. representative goes away, then the chiefs really need to sit down and say, well, uh, okay, but so <laughs> what do the foreigners want now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's when they true. say they want to bring development to Ireland, what mm. do they want now? Do mm. they want our land, or do they want what grows on our land, or what is mm. under our land, or do they want our language, or our culture, or our women, right. or what? Mm. You know, from mm. uh, all, all uh, foreign and long outside all. Yeah. You got some way, only good, good ones. There's mm. plenty of might as well steal them all. Shack, eh? All shack. <laughs> and many of them are pushing wrong models. Models mm. that don't even work in the countries that they come from. Yeah. You know? Yeah, mm. look, people, people uh, 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 promoting a certain type of business capitalism, you know, right. for, for example, uh, uh, from, say, for example, the United States. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the United States is really an, an unequal society, you know. Uh, absolutely. People from, from overseas mm. sort of forget that mm. uh, there are something, is it 30 to 40 million people in the United States who are living below the official poverty line? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they, they don't... Uh, you don't, uh, you know, yeah. you may not see there's too many of them in the area where you are, mm. but, uh, you know, there are lots, you know, and the thing is you get, uh, you get uh, situations like that, and, uh, you know, uh, in other parts of the world. I'm not saying that, uh, unfortunately, uh, mm. every, all of these big countries, they think that their system is the best. Yeah. Whereas they forget yeah. that there's actually islands in the world like Vanuatu who have actually already mm. got a pretty good life mm. already. Mm. already and all it needs is just maybe a little bit more access to certain types of education a little bit more access to certain types of medicines and things like that but mm -hmm. basically Vanuatu has actually already got most of the things that the outside world <laughs> thinks that people will need uh, and, and most people in Vanuatu are very content right. they're not mm -hmm. stressed out in the way that you see you see uh, other people in the uh, outside world this is one of the things that these people from Tana uh, found when they went over to England or to the United States, mm. they found that everybody was very stressed out. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
Uh, another thing that really hit, has hit the Pacific very, very, very much in a, in a very big way is the introduction of mobile phone technology. Look, that's had some really good benefits. It means that, you know, you can talk with your relatives in medical emergencies. You can, you know, make them promise. You can do this. You can do that. Uh, you can, uh, it, it, it's really good. And it's become part of normal life for many people in the Pacific. But that's very rapid. I mean, I can remember I was up on Santo the day when Digicel was launched in 2008. Yeah, and I'd just come from the island of Malo by boat. Um, and I arrived in Santo, and I thought, what's going on? And the whole main street in Santo was packed. Mm. Uh, <laughs> like tin fish. <laughs> tin fish inside tin. Inside mm. a tin. You know, people were packed, and they were all lining up to get these new digital phones. It was the day when Digicel started in 2008. And since then, um, uh, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's really, really taken over. It's the eyes down or the heads down generation now, you know. Right, People are looking right. down onto their mobile phones rather than mm. learning sand drawings mm. or doing a lot of things. But there, you know, yeah. there's some interesting things. I remember there was one chap. I saw an old friend from Middlebush Santo there in the main street. Um, in the main street, mm. uh, uh, there amongst this crowd of people, and he was there, and he had he's got a bamboo through his nose, and he mm. wears a just a, one small calico. Mm -hmm. With a strap and stuff, and that's all. And I said, "Hey, long time in little queue. What are you down here for?" And he said, "I want to get one of these new phones." <laughs> and I said, "What do you, what do you want to do, <laughs> do that for? Because up where you live, where you're from, there's no, there's no connections or anything like that." And he said, "Oh, I'll come down." And I said, "But who? Okay, who, who are you going to talk to?" He said, "Me want to talk talk with them Vanessa Kwai." <laughs> <laughs> because you know, remember, you remember all the. the in the publicity for Digicel, yes, the yes. the launching, they had to have Vanessa Clyde, these big posters with Vanessa Clyde, oh, smiling and talking on the phone. Oh, so I see. Friend from Milo, Milo Busanto, you think say something? Yeah, but you should not talk with Vanessa Clyde no more. Well, that, that is, that is, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, not not a strange way, but to think about like introduction of this uh, to countries that have never really been you know, um, seen any of this type of me uh, mediums of communication, and yeah, yet yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they somehow, are, uh, you know, it's attracted to them. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to talk, I was going to ask you to, you know, look at, maybe let's talk about a little bit more, uh, a little bit about how are some of the solutions to, now we've talked a little bit uh, from a previous conversation, we talk a bit a little bit about food in the different islands and how that relationship with, you know, how we use food and what, what does that mean. And we, I think we talk about, uh, you know, that food is uh, the way that it's related to Nivanuatu. Uh, there is a song to it. There is, uh, it's, it, it's basically it consists of everyday, how, you know, from the spiritual context to the physical realm of using it. Um, and an understanding of how to live within the biodiversity uh, of everything from from you know from the sea to the forest to land, um, and and we talked a little bit too about this indigenous uh, traditional knowledge. Now, 
you know, when we, think, when we talk about the indigenous uh, knowledge or traditional knowledge, that also go hand in hand with languages, right? Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're teaching a child, the child obviously, the you know, they have to understand the names of the, the food, they have to understand, so it's, it's about the communication that, and, and watching and, and doing at the same time. So let's talk about how, when we, when we talk about passing on those knowledge, what are some, some other ways that the government can look into uh, perhaps introducing into the classroom those indigenous or traditional knowledge of food preservation, um, uh, from, from you know, teaching children about their language from wherever they come from, um, how that relationship with, uh, you know, we, we spoke about Malakula and how that's a, a place where taro is, certain parts of Malakula where taro is uh, often used. Um, and so I was thinking that what are some other ways that the government, the non-profit organizations or uh, whatever businesses in town or agencies that can, can enhance or, or um, use traditional knowledge in a way, or even the, obviously, the cultural center, in a way that it's meaningful and, and, the, and meaningful to an Ivanuatu person, because it not, when you look at a food, it's not just something that you're going to eat uh, and be satisfied and keep you healthy and keep you, you know, strength and continue to do what you do. But how does that, you know, look, look at it in a way that can holistically, from a well-being standpoint, how can the government or agencies or private agencies, can, organizations can help to promote that idea? Uh, okay, well, you know, there's one, one sort of kind of solution would be to have any time that, for example, a representative from one of the big overseas development agencies, etc., mm. uh, or whoever comes to visit, it might be an idea to try and really, because the thing is, it's really interesting. Vanuatu always seems to be in the situation where it's trying to bring in uh, uh, advisors from overseas to advise mm. people in Vanuatu to do things that people in Vanuatu already know how to do much better than the people from overseas. Right. <laughs> you know, so that needs to be switched around. So mm. I think that uh, what needs to be done is every time, say, people from, say, the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund or the Asian Development Bank or wherever uh, uh, come, mm. uh, you could actually, I mean, you can't force them to do this, but you, you could sort of uh, <laughs> invite each of them to go and spend a week in Middlebush Santo right. or Middlebush mm. Malakula or Middlebush Tana or someplace like that. So that they can be taught, so that they can learn what mm -hmm. are the real priorities of life in the Western Pacific. That's you know? true. That's true. Uh, because they need, the, it's, the ones from overseas, they've got no idea about the real world. They're all living in offices with air conditioning, they're using computers and electricity that works and blah, 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 and everything like that, and they're relying on money. And they think that everybody else in the world should be basically doing the same, working mm -hmm. like slaves for this crazy thing called money. Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, look, mm -hmm. let, me, let me tell you my story. Two thousand. Uh, I'm not sure if I've actually mentioned this before. And uh, I think it was about 2001. I think it was, yeah, about... Let me just try and think. What year? Uh, sorry, I can't remember exactly what year. Um, 
It was the late 90s or early 2000s. Uh, um, there was a photographic exhibition in California about custom life in the interior of, uh, of Tanner, uh, with photographs taken by the photographer David Becker. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this photographs were taken in this uh, custom area in southwestern Tanner, where they speak a language called Nevha. And mm -hmm. it's an area where they haven't, they're not Christian, they haven't joined the churches or anything like that. They're just living normal, good, traditional daily life. And they eat really well, they're very mm -hmm. healthy. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the Colt uh, Center, Center field workers from that area, whose name at the time was, uh, 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 um, uh, Hold on a second. Um, Posen Yafbeton. Yeah. Now, sorry, I was hesitating there because now he's called Posen Posen Sanna. Posen Yafbeton at the time. Yafbeton uh, is the type of a fish that's got a lot of spikes on it and lots of different colors. Um, but anyway, he uh, went with David Becker to California. He was to speak at the. Um, at the uh, event, at the opening, and then David, he would speak in Bishlamah, and David would then uh, uh, translate into English at the opening. And Posen was to, uh, uh, was to um, uh, represent his people mm -hmm. at that exhibition in California. And um, I was in Veal at the time. I, I think this was, I might have been the late 1990s. Yes, I was in... Uh, uh, Vila at the time, and uh, I drunk kava with Posen and um, David Becker the night before they were due to leave. And I said to Posen, look, when you go to the island called America, uh, look behind the mask. I said, because America is a, is, a, is, a, is a culture that has a mask that covers its face uh, so that people don't really know what the face is really like. But I said, look behind the mask. People there are very friendly, but they don't really know much about the outside world. Their soldiers did a very good job here in the Pacific during World War II, and many of your uh, parents' generation, grandparents' generation, helped the Americans in, during World War II. But nowadays, America is, is a bit different. They're very obsessed with other things. Mm. So while you're there, look and try and study and see what is really going on there, you know. Anyway, when they came back, I was there when uh, Posen and David came back mm -hmm. from California. And it was really interesting. We were up at uh, Chief Jacob, the late Chief Jacob Capelli's house, Chief Jacob Sam mm -hmm. then, he was called, mm -hmm. uh, in Vila. And at that time, Jacob was head of the audiovisual, the National Film and Sound Archive section at the Gold Center. And uh, Jacob had, Chief Jacob had gotten together uh, representative chiefs from the island of Tanner that were living in Vila mm. at the time, and Posen was to give a presentation to them uh, about his visit to America. Mm. And uh, so this was before before Kava. Mm. Uh, anyway, so we were all there at the back of Jacob's house in the garden area, 
And so Jacob was squatting down in the position of subservience while he was then to give his presentation to the representative chiefs from Tanner there. And Posen said, look, I'd like to thank you all. Like, welcome. Thank you, chiefs, for letting me come and speak to you. I'd like to talk to you about my experiences recently on the island of America. Mm. Uh, he said, we've all heard... And I have to realize that uh, Jacob is uh, uh, from a custom area. Mm. He hadn't been to modern school. He's been through custom school, <laughs> traditional education. Uh, and in those days, he didn't know how to read or write. But he didn't need to. You don't need to in many areas mm. of Vanuatu. You don't actually need to read or write. I mean, you can still live a very good life without knowing how to read or write in many areas. Uh, uh, anyway, he said, uh, look, we've all heard about the island of America. We all thought that um, America is very, very rich. But he mm. said, look, I spent 10 days there. And in the 10 days that I was there, I didn't see a single pig. You know, mm. and all the chiefs mm. sort of go, oh, what? You know, and he said, yes. He said, um, he said, it's a really strange place. The people are very nice and they're very friendly, but they have a very strange lifestyle. He said, uh, he said, uh, I noticed that when walking along the streets, this was in San Francisco, he, was, mm. he said, when walking along the streets, I noticed that there were lots of uh, people lying down by the side of the street, and they had a panikin. You know, this is one of these, uh, these old-fashioned types of coffee. He used the term panikin. Mm. Um, the cups. Oh, okay. Panikin's actually a, a sort of a type of enamel cup, but it's not. Mm. But basically, he just meant that people were holding cups. Mm. And as you walked past, they would shake the cups, and you heard the sound of money, shillings mm. in the cups. Mm -hmm. And mm. what they wanted you to do was to put money in the cups. And by the side of where they were sitting, they had a, uh, a notice that said what they needed the shillings for, what they needed the money for. Mm. I needed for Mm -hmm. food or I needed for a place to sleep um, and I th he said I thought that was very strange because this is in a country which is supposed to be very very rich mm -hmm. and yet you have people asking you for this thing called money mm -hmm. and so I was trying to find out about this and I found out that in that, in that country called America there's a thing called work <laughs> you have to like, this guy's from Middle Bush town mm -hmm. you know, yeah, there's a thing called work which you have to do uh, from morning to evening, every day, and in return for this thing called work, you're given money. You're given mm -hmm. money, and then you take the thing called you take the thing called money, and you go to a store. I mean, in their area, in that, in that part of Middlebush Town, there's no stores. You go to mm -hmm. a store. You have to realize this is 25, 25 or more years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to a thing called a store, and then you exchange the thing called money for food. Mm. because they don't have gardens. They don't grow their food anymore. He said, so they have to use this, they have to do this thing called work to get this thing called money, to take this thing called money to a store, to get this thing called food. And the thing is, the food is rubbish food, and it's poison, <laughs> and it makes them all sick. <laughs> and he said, if you don't do this thing called work on their island, then you can't get this thing called money, and you can't get any food, and you can't, you can't have a place to sleep because... <laughs> Even to have a place to sleep, you have to pay for electricity, this thing called electric. Uh, you have to pay for a, uh, a home. You have to pay for this and that with, with the money. And so the whole system is, it makes people uh, work like slaves. 
Mm. Well, same sleeve. Yeah. Um, and he said, um, he said the mistake that the white people over there, or the people in America have made, and he was comparing it to the rest of the world as well, the mistake that the white people have made, or the foreigners have made, is they've pulled themselves up from the ground. And it was interesting, because there was a sort of a, uh, a rope going across the area where we were sitting. There was a rope going across above us. Mm. Um, and uh, I think I actually it might have been a thing from a cassette tape that was, that was, mm. that was spread across there, you know, yeah. But he said, uh, he said, what they've done, the mistake they made, They've pulled themselves out of the ground, their contact with the ground, and he pulled up a clump of grass that was near where he was. He pulled it up out of the earth. And he mm -hmm. said, this is them, the foreigners. They pulled themselves away from the ground. And then he, he said, you see that thing across there, that rope there? He said, I'll call that a vine. One mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And he threw the clump of grass over so that it hung on that vine. And he said, mm -hmm. that vine there, that rope, I'll call money. I'll mm -hmm. hang along a rope, we name him money. And if the rope gets sick, everyone gets sick with it because they're mm -hmm. all hanging on the rope called money. Mm -hmm. They've lost their contact with reality. They've mm -hmm. lost their contact with the ground. They're, they're hanging in the air on the rope called money. Mm -hmm. And if the rope gets sick, the vine gets sick, they all get sick with it. Uh, so I thought that was a really good analogy from someone uh, who had never been to school, but who could see mm. the situation mm. overseas through completely different and traditional eyes. Yeah, yeah. and it was very mm. good, very good. I thought it was a very good and accurate description. <laughs> yes. Slightly, yes. slightly oversimplified, but very correct. Very, very, very indeed. Um, yeah. yeah, so we've been talking um, a lot about all the different food, and I think perhaps my last question to you would be, um, Throughout your time in Vanuatu and your work, how has the knowledge, um, in terms of the the roles of women with food, um, how have you seen that change from when you were there, how many years ago now, to what it is today, um, and the passing on of this knowledge of, of uh, maybe, you know, traditional food that it's... Uh, you know, certain traditional food that was important and in the way that it's prepared or just the knowledge of passing it on to the next generation, yeah. but also, you know, harvesting and, and planting and all of that. Uh, what is the one thing that you've seen that has changed um, and the role, the importance of the role of women in keeping okay. traditional um, knowledge yeah. and, uh, and planting? Yeah. Um. Well, Mary, I would, I would hope that it's not changed as much as I fear that it might mm. have changed. I, I, I fear that the diet in many areas has become simplified mm. as, as modern development, in inverted commas. I mean, I'm not using that term in the positive sense. I'm using it as an as a sort of a, a insult, in a way. Uh, uh, the more modern development you get, uh, the, the worse the, the traditional diet seems to get, because mm. people are relying more and more on getting stuff from the store and they mm -hmm. seem to be spending more and more time producing food for sale or export okay the people may have to do that because if you have to pay school fees or anything like that but i can remember i can remember uh, um 
areas where, uh, as part of the, the Custom Economy Project, the Culture Center was promoting the idea that, uh, and the Ministry of Education actually agreed with it at the time, this was uh, 15 years or so ago, is that, uh, is that uh, if you were stuck for money for paying school fees, why don't you get the school to agree to accept payment in custom kai-kai, like yam or taro or something like that. And that's mm -hmm. actually gone ahead in certain areas. Uh, or payment in money mats. I mean, I know that that was being successful in some areas up in your, your area, in Raga, in North Pentecost, mm -hmm. at one time. But I think, I'm not sure if those things still continue. I hope they do. I hope mm -hmm. they do, because mm -hmm. as far as I can see, the more one reali relies on modern money, the mm -hmm. worse things are going to get mm -hmm. in Vanuatu. Mm. So try and I think the thing to do is to try and with working through the chiefs and the families, try and minimize one needs for modern money because the foundation of modern money is very unstable as well. You remember the global financial crisis mm. that affected the whole world starting in mm -hmm. 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, that, uh, that was a real, a really bad thing. And the old people, the really old people might remember uh, the days in the 1930s. Uh, um, 90 years ago, when there were a lot of really big plantations in uh, the New Hebrides at that time in Vanuatu, on Epi, East Coast Malakula, South Coast Malakula, Santo, really big plantations. Uh, most of those collapsed in the 1930s. Uh, this was uh, a decade before, 10, 10 years or so before World War II, because of another collapse of modern money overseas. It was known as the Worldwide Depression. Uh, and that was uh, yeah, and, and both of those, both of those uh, collapse of money uh, mm -hmm. disasters mm -hmm. started in the United States. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because the financial system there, although it has the the possibility of giving great wealth very rapidly, also is very unstable and it periodically collapses. Mm -hmm. um, for those who are interested, um, the Gold Center has published. A booklet about aspects of this, and you can get it from the Culture Center's museum shop. And it's a booklet entitled uh, "Traditional Money Banks mm. in Vanuatu," and it promotes the idea of traditional wealth uh, rather than modern money. Um, but I think that uh, look, one of the things that that uh, really impressed me when I first arrived out there nearly 50 years ago on Malakula was in the in the custom areas and elsewhere as well on Malakula in those days. How delicious the food was! I mean, there was a great variety of, of custom food, and mm. uh, you know, I mean, really delicious. There was all sorts of stuff, and I think now you tend to find that it's that, that variety is being lost very mm. gradually. So I think it's really important for the mothers to listen to their grandparents and and say, look, what are the other varieties of food that we've got? We don't have to go to the store to use to buy white rice. Mm. Um, anyway, I'll finish this off with a with a funny story about rice mm -hmm. from Mega Manny Laugh. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we've got all the food. Uh, and the thing is, as you say, yeah, the COVID mm -hmm. lockdowns, mm -hmm. coronavirus lockdowns, restrictions have made people hopefully look back and, and say, well, we've already got all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So we need to promote mm -hmm. it. And it's mm -hmm. like I remember in World War II, I mean, I wasn't around. I was born... Uh, I was born... Uh, uh, three years after World War II finished. Mm -hmm. um, but stories from my parents and other people that I knew. I mean, in England, England was sort of locked down for six years, 1939 to 1945. Mm 
mm-hmm. during World War II uh, and was restricted. It was sort of barricaded. Uh, people were on food uh, restrictions. Mm-hmm. You weren't allowed to eat too much food because they had to make sure that there was enough food for the soldiers who were going mm-hmm. into Europe to fight the Germans, to fight the Nazis and all that sort of stuff. So the diet in England became very restricted. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, what they discovered during that time of the six-year lockdown was that instead of people becoming unhealthy, mm-hmm. people in general became much more healthy, mm-hmm. you know, much more healthy, mm-hmm. because they cut out all the stuff that they didn't need. Right, they were down to right. essentials. They, they, the fat mm-hmm. ones became normal again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. The people that had heart problems, uh, well, some may have died of heart attacks and stuff, from fright from all bomb, or bomb way, or Nazis, or at least suck them along England, or thank you. But uh, anyway, in general, the health of the people did not deteriorate during World War II in England, but it got better during, you know, because they were back to a normal diet, a, a, a more restricted diet, without the excess fats and sugars that are so, so damaging. Uh, and they went back to a lot of their traditional recipes themselves at that time. Of course, now, now things have changed. It's back to, mm-hmm. uh, it's back to uh, <laughs> chocolate pizza marker. <laughs> it's okay. Look, I like Tim Tam biscuits. You know, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you have to be, you have to be careful. You yes. have to be careful. It's, it's uh, all under moderation, it, huh? Yeah, yeah, everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. it really gets down to the chiefs and mama or papa or bumbu and the chiefs. And, and the government, to, yes. and the government really needs to sit up and say, look, we don't need all this modern development from outside, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. look what's happening in the outside world. Right. You know, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not necessarily all that good. But with the women, mm. look, there was a thing, there's a lot of, one of the things that's slightly concerning is mm. possible increase in violence against women yes. in Vanuatu. He got Dr. Hossein. But the thing is, look, I can remember one time, uh, uh, I'm just trying to figure out how I can put this. Um, Look, in areas of southern Malakula that I was in in nearly 50 years or so ago, Mm -hmm. in the bush areas, Mm -hmm. there was, you know, a pig killing system for men and a pig killing system for women. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned this before. In one area up in Middle Bush, southern Malakula, there was a, two graded systems for the men, Nimangi Mieli and Nimangi Borang. One system had 19 grades and the other had 15 grades. And then there was a grade for, system for the women, Nimangi Tengesi. Mm-hmm. Some areas called it Nimangi Tengesi. That was for the women. Other areas will have different names for the, the women's graded system, La Paz. Mm-hmm. Uh, all sorts of, there's all sorts of different names. Mm-hmm. Now, around the coastal areas of Malakula, uh, there were many uh, similar types of systems, but each had sort of slightly different numbers of grades mm-hmm. and slightly different functions, because there's so many different cultures there in southern Malakula. There's 19 different languages in southern Malakula for only about 10,000 people mm-hmm. or so. So it's, it's rather complex. Eh? Um, in the coastal areas, Christianity got in relatively early, but had a very hard time, <laughs> had a very hard time, I'll say that, mm-hmm. 
yeah. uh, converting people. Um, but what happened in many areas, not everywhere, um, but in many areas in the, along around the coast of Malakula, was that the introduction of Christianity, which was usually, but not always, in, in the hands of white men, missionaries. Uh, there are some areas, there's one part of south coastal Malakula where Christianity was, was uh, the ideas about Christianity, which was then called salvation, were introduced, was introduced before missionaries by a chap who'd come back from, Nivanuatu who'd come back from Queensland. But in other areas, it was white missionaries. And the white missionaries were rather tough, and they were from overseas, France or uh, England or Scotland or wherever, where uh, it was assumed that the men rule and the women just cook and uh, do this and do that. And so those missionaries, they weren't really accustomed to cultures where women had their own grading systems, where mm -hmm. women could become women of high status or respect. Mm -hmm. uh, and so effectively what happened in many of the coastal areas was that Christianity, instead of... now. One of the things that they often say is the churches say is we improve the situation of women. Mm. Okay. Now, and at one level they did. Yes, they founded, founded these, you know, PWMU or something or same, you know, mm. all these mm. women's groups and things like that. Okay. So that was rather interesting. But mm. from the ritual custom point of view, in many instances they actually made the social position of women worse. Because what actually happened... And there's very, you, you very often you won't get anybody in the churches mm. either talking about this or realizing that it actually happened. But what actually happened was, um, in many areas, certain aspects of the men's graded systems or ranking systems continued, although sometimes sort of in secret, away from the eyes of the missionary. Mm. Uh, but the women's graded systems were completely, almost completely eradicated. Mm. So the women lost the only traditional way of access they had to status and respect. Mm -hmm. And so from that point of view, vis-a-vis -vis the men in their society, the position of women got lower. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the gap got wider. It's like mm -hmm. the inequality gap, for example, in the United States where the rich are really, really rich, mm -hmm. and then you've got this vast number of people who are really sort of uh, poor, mm -hmm. uh, or relatively poor. Mm -hmm. um, but so, And what happened, it had social impact. So I can remember one time up in the bush uh, uh, a long time ago, there was a friend of mine who'd gotten quite angry at his wife because she'd done something that uh, he uh, wasn't necessarily, he didn't agree with or something like that. But mm -hmm. he said, he said, eh, but I, I can't hit her because she's a, she's a, uh, she's got such and such a grade in the, in the woman's grade system. Mm. So she's a taboo woman, so I can't hit her. Right. Right. You know, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, but whereas if she hadn't had a grade mm. in the women's system, mm. he would have been able to hit her. Right. So what's happened is the areas, in the areas where the women's graded system has disappeared, mm. men found it easier to hit the women. Right. Yeah. That, this is because very interesting. There was, no there, there was no restrictions on it. Right. Uh, no restrictions on it, yeah, you know. Yeah, in the areas where the women's greatest systems were going, mm. the men, the men, and of course the, the men wanted to promote their wives as much as possible up the greatest system because it gave reflected status glory to the husbands. Right. You know? So right. It, was in, yeah, it was in the husbands. It was in the husbands' interest, interest. to mm -hmm. help 
through her family mm. to promote his wife to be a high-ranking woman mm. uh, and a woman of status, mm. a taboo woman, uh, mm. because it, it, it reflected well on the husband and, and on her family as well and, and stuff. So the systems were actually were working really well. They had benefits. They had social benefits, and they were actually systems that minimized violence mm. against women. Because when you have all these sacred women wandering around, you mm. know, maybe their husbands might get sometimes a little bit annoyed with them, but you couldn't, you couldn't actually, they, they couldn't actually um, uh, go out and sort of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, you know. Mm. So anyway, that's another aspect. But look, mm. um, I, I want to sort of bring, start bringing this to a close with a, a funny story. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but it's, it can show the, it's to do with rice but some early mistaken ideas about rice. But it also ties in with women and violence against women mm-hmm. at this time, you know. Um, uh, when I was first up in, in Northeast Malakula in 1973, this is uh, nearly 50 years ago, uh, 48 years ago, I remember hearing a couple of times some people laughing, and there was this joke where this, something happened, something, you know, Fell, somebody fell down or something like that, something fell over, and people would sing out, Hey, folklore rice! <laughs> have, I, have I told you this story before? No. Nah, no. This <laughs> okay. is the first time. Yeah. Okay. Folklore rice! Yeah. And after I'd heard that the second or third time, I thought, Well, what's this? What's this story? So I was trying to find out about it. I said, What's the folklore rice? What does it mean? Where does that story come from? Hmm. Um, and so I finally managed to to follow it up, and it turns out uh, the origin of the story comes from uh, a situation where one of the earliest trade stores, uh, when it opened up in the coast of northeast Malakuta, uh, it was, uh, you know, selling uh, this and that, bush knives, tomahawks, axe heads, uh, things like that. Um, Mm. And it was selling out the back door, it was selling... uh, uh, dry gin and uh, stuff like that. Mm. Uh, and um, and food and the first rice. Some of the first rice came through there and all this sort of stuff. But mm. a lot of these things uh, in those early days were not to... This is going back, the origin of the story goes back probably, possibly to the maybe to the 1890s or something like that. Mm. Uh, so it would be a 130 years ago, um, and so news, all sorts of rumors started going around about mm. what the stores were selling, you know, this and that, and rumors started going around that the stores were selling a, a type of white man's food that you could eat, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it made you sort of drunk, it made you, your head spin, uh, and then it enabled you, and the power of this food enabled you to do whatever you wanted to do, but mm-hmm. it wasn't your fault, because it was the, the fault of the thing that did this white man's food. Eh? Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a couple of chaps up in the, one of the, not full bush villages, but part of the way through, I think it was up in Batalilip or Batavmula, places, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they heard these rumors about this white man's food that, you know, you could, you'd eat it and it made your head spin and you, and you could do whatever you wanted and it wasn't your fault. 
you know, you blame it on the food, because it was, you know. Um, so <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, they had a relative of theirs who'd been in Queensland and brought back some shillings and things like that. And mm -hmm. so the, these two uh, elderly chaps uh, went down, they trekked down to the coast, uh, to the store, and they went inside and they said to the chap behind the, the, the store, they said, hey, me family want them you savvy, something, yeah. The guy in the store said, what him, what him? And they said, do you know, you savvy, something, yeah. He said, no, I don't know. He said, and they said, you savvy, can I, can I blow a white man, yeah, away? You savvy, can I, can I blow a white man, yeah? You savvy? And the guy said, oh, you mean, you mean uh, rice? Because <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't know that the, the story they heard was about gin, but they thought it was, a, they'd heard it was a food. And they said, ah, oh, yes, yes, amen now, amen now. So, anyway, so here's the rice. So the guy in the store, the chap in the store, told them how to make it and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then uh, he said, when you, when you when you finally cook it this way, and then you eat it, it's hot. They mm -hmm. eat sweet, good. You savvy? And two fellows looked at each other. Yeah, you savvy. So, anyway, so they, they go back up, uh, back up to their village with this very very expensive bag of, uh, of rice. <laughs> And they cook it, and they're sitting over this bowl. And when it's cooked, one of them puts his right hand in, and he takes out some of the rice, and he puts it in his mouth. He swallows them down, and then he goes, "Woof, man! Something is strong. He kick away, kick." And the other one, on the other side, puts his right hand into the the big iron pannikin, the, the bowl, and takes a handful of rice in his right hand, swallows it down. And he said, Woo, man, he blow me to Iran. He something new. Kick, wake, kick, wake, kick. You know. And uh, so anyway, they, they have two or three, two or three handfuls of rice. And then, man, the relief rules wrong, yeah. All right. Anyway, so they said, Saye, now yeah, we get to meet the relief. He said, we make a one away, we really want them. Yes. So they go outside. They go outside. One picks up one stick of wood. The other picks up another stick of wood. They go outside and there's the... There, there are two, two wives. There are two wives outside there, saying, "Hey, what are you, what are you chaps been up to? One he take him stick wood here, stop killing wife for him. Another one he take him stick wood here, stop killing wife for him." And the chief comes out. He says, "Hey, you two fella, you two fella, stop making one of here. Something here, you know, so they kill a wife for you two fella. Something here, two fella, a woman here, tabu." And the two men say, "Oh, sorry, chief, but you know, four blow me fella, four blow rice here." <laughs> so the whole time they were thinking that the rice was uh, some sort yeah. of drink. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it shows how you can fool people. Just anyway, anyway. So uh, that's the that was the original. You know, for rice, yeah. So so anyway, anyway, watch out for rice. You might get drunk on rice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff is uh, purely psychological. If you think you're going to get drunk on something, you'll get drunk on it, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, very often. Mm -hmm. very often. Yeah. And that's, that's the true. way a lot of uh, uh, things in the modern world mm -hmm. uh, are. It's sort of a trick, you know. Yeah. If you think that money is valuable, then, uh, then you'll spend your whole life trying to chase it. But actually, right. it's got no value, right. value at all. You know, it, there's it, some areas that... Uh, that uh, yeah. people are, there's one area on Tanner in mm -hmm. the 1940s, time where in the 1940s, uh, when the whole island turned its back on Christianity at one point, 
Mm. It was, I think it was Easter Sunday in 1941, without the missionary telling the missionaries the whole island decided against Christianity. And so here's all the missionaries getting their churches ready for the Palm Sunday or Easter Sunday celebrations, and nobody turned up. Mm. Uh, and that was when, you know, they were just... Because the whole island got fed up with missionaries blocking kava and blocking certain ceremonies and things like that. Mm. So they decided to teach the missionaries a lesson. Mm. Um, and, of course, it was some of the, the early days of what later became known as the John Frum movement mm. and things like that. But there was all sorts of spin-offs where certain groups of people on Tanner said that one of the real problems was money, mm. modern money. So mm. they gathered together... Uh, this, so they tried to get rid of, they were told to get rid of all their money. So there was this time when they were rushing into the stores on Tanner, spending all the money they could just to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when they couldn't get rid of it, all of it, because a lot of them had been to Queensland. They had all this, all these, all these gold mm-hmm. sovereigns and stuff in, mm-hmm. in, in bags and leaf containers mm-hmm. and things. They mm-hmm. couldn't get rid of it, so they took it over to one area. They gathered together what money was left almost all the money that was left, and they took it in to one area on the coast of Tanner, and they threw it into the sea, mm. you know, to get mm. rid of it, because they saw that the, the real origin, the stamper mm. of all this, all these problems and things like that, was money. And mm-hmm. to a certain extent, they were right. Mm-hmm. To a certain mm-hmm. extent, they're right. Mm-hmm. Because although nowadays we sort of tend to assume that money is actually uh, absolutely essential for people to live, uh, we all know those of us who've had the privilege of working with custom people and things like that realize that, that for tens of thousands of years, most of the cultures in the world, or many of the cultures in the world, have been living without modern money, have been living usually pretty bloody well. Right, you know? right. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I, I'm not going to say. Uh, yeah. Anyway, can you, can, can you lend me uh, five pounds? Huh? Yeah, that is, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 thoroughly. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, I hope that our listeners can learn about your story and your time in Vanuatu. But fifty something years ago, when you were a young uh, sorry anthropologist um, on the island of Malakule, a lot of your stories that you have told, um, there's certainly so many things that we can learn from, and it's always good to go back and. And listen to those stories so that it can, you know, allow for not just uh, people like me, but the young generations to know that, you know, the things that we're, we're, we're carrying around our hands today, um, you know, they have some good use and they have some use that we may have to think about it again. And yes, also, yes. Mm-hmm, and yes. uh, thinking about our relationship with our food, um, that you know, holding a piece of taro in a hand doesn't mean that you just put that in your mouth and it, it has a story, it has a song, it has a life in it. It's part of who you are as a Nivanuatu, as a Melanesian person. So many, many yes. good lessons that we have learned today. So any last thing that you want to say before we say goodbye uh, to our yes. audience? Yes, Tabiana Mary, thank you. Uh, um, and thank you for anyone who's listening. Uh, maybe I've been a little bit overmark in some of my statements about this or that, but uh, it's all meant with uh, good intentions. Um, so, and don't forget all of your custom foods that you eat. Well, you got spirit with them. They've all got spirits associated with them. There's songs. There's dances. You know, don't don't lose that. 
Don't lose mm-hmm. that very rich heritage. Keep your land, keep your language, keep your cultures. Oh, and Mary, uh, uh, if you give your husband a white rice to eat and you see him reaching for a stick, run. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will make sure that I will run if he does that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. For, always a pleasure to have you on Coming to the Mat. This podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl, and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy, and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. Please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.